I threatened you this morning and you came back. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, it's amazing what God can do. He's on our side. Remember, this morning we was talking about this ain't no free ride. If you're looking for freebies, you're, you're signed up in the wrong crowd. You know what I mean? If you're looking for something for nothing, you, you're in the wrong place as far as Christianity goes because uh, there is a payment that God requires to receive things from Him. You have to pay for them. Don't pass out. You pay for them with your faith. Remember, you taught me that this morning. Remember what you taught me? This ain't no free ride. Remember that? So let's open our Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 11. I think that's where we were at this morning. And I promise it would continue along these lines because the Holy Ghost had been dealing with me about it in my personal life because I have to believe God just like you do. Remember, I was uh, heard somebody ask Brother... Uh, Hagen, a question one time, Dad Hagen, Dr. Kennedy Hagen, question one time, he said, Brother Hagen said, you ever get to a place you just coast through life, float through life on flowery beds of ease, so to speak, and, and you don't have to exercise your faith? Of course, everybody wanted to hear that answer, you know. And he said, boys, he said, girls, he said, if there is such a place, he said, I've never found it. And this was in his latter ministry. He said, as long as you live on this earth, he said, you're going to have to exercise your faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when I'm talking about that God requires something for us and this ain't no free ride, he expects us to exercise our faith. We got into talking about these things because you begin to ask different questions. You remember how you stayed up and you thought about, if I ever get there, I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to get an answer to it. And, and all these kinds of things, you know. And, and one of the questions that you forgot to ask me this morning, but you thought about it all afternoon, and you wanted to me to, to ask me this question when you got here, and the question is uh, this, that can you cover again a little bit of what you were talking about, how God deals with Christians differently than He deals with those that's in the world, those that don't know God, those that's not born again. Somehow, I knew this afternoon you was going to ask me that question when you got back tonight. And so I will, by popular demand of you, the audience, I want to cover that again. God deals with Christians on a different level than he does on those that, don't, that are not born again, that don't know Christ, that are not Christians. In fact, we hear about miracles that happened, you know, in other countries, other nations. And of course, we have miracles here. We thank God for what he's done here. Thank God for what he's done. But never on a level do we see today like we see and hear about that's going on in other countries where people don't know God. What it is in, in countries where people don't know God, God demonstrates His mercy and love to them because they don't know anything. They have no idea about what the Bible says. So many of them are hearing the gospel for the first time and God in His sovereign mercy begins to minister to them and meet their needs. But when it comes to the church... There's a different story here. And he said, what's the different story is? If we've been hearing the word like we have, the United States of America is blessed with the word of God. Did you know that? I mean, we have the word going 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is no exaggeration. I said 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the word of God is going forth in this nation somewhere, somehow, some way, in some form. So God deals with the world, those that are not saved, on a different level than he deals with us on. If you are a born-again Christian, he expects us to exercise our faith in his word in order for him to work in our life. 
Why? Because he cannot violate his own words. Remember this morning, I read you a direct quote where Jesus Christ appeared to Dr. Kenneth e. Hagin in Texas. You remember that. I shared with you an experience about where Jesus appeared to him and talked to him and so on and so forth. So let me read you that again. Can I do that? Are you excited about it? I thought you might be excited about it. So... Uh, And I know you wanted to hear it again, so that's why I want to read it to you. Remember what had happened is, is Dr. Hagen's wife, Miss Aretha Hagen, had been attacked in her physical body. This has been back yonder in 57, you know. She had a gore, a big growth in her throat. In that day, medical science was not like it is today, so they just couldn't go in there and go to snatching and cutting and grabbing and tearing without killing her, because it would have probably killed her. In fact, the Lord actually told Dad Hagen when he appeared to him that if she'd have had this surgery, you know, that she would have died because that was uh, without, the, without in the natural course of events. And, of course, that's what it says in the book. But, Brother Hagen, I've heard him say on other places, and I'll not get into all that because it take me too long to explain it, but he explained it a little bit different. But it said the natural course of events in the book, uh, I believe in visions, where he told about these experiences where Jesus appeared to him. He said if the natural course of events had taken place, uh, then Aretha, his wife, would have died. So he had been praying and asking God to let him keep his wife. You know, and, and he wanted to, their children, his children, uh, uh, Ken and Pat, you know, who we know today as Pastor Hagen and, and, and Reverend Pat uh, Hagen, uh, uh, Harrison now, and uh, wanted to, them to have their mama. And so he was talking to the Lord about it. Lord, don't let my wife die, you know, because he, he sensed that she would uh, with this gorder attack in her throat. It was got so extreme that it was actually cutting the air and oxygen off. She was breathing. At times she would have spells where she wouldn't even know where she was at because she didn't have enough oxygen to her brain. And Brother Hagin tried to have to grab her and kind of shake her a little bit and get her attention. Of course, they had become greatly concerned. So he had been really petitioning the Lord, praying about the Lord and saying, Lord, let me keep my wife. So one night he was preaching there in Garland. Y'all remember in Garland, Texas, remember it's east of Dallas. You remember that, right? East of Dallas. Y'all remember where Garland is? Anyway, east of Dallas. You know, it's not far from Tyler. Y'all know that too, Tyler. And it's not far from Van. Y'all know where Van's at, right? That's not far. I mean, it's a little ways. It's on over there, you know. Van was the last church, uh, the city, last city uh, where the church was located that Dr. Hagen ministered in, an Assembly of God church in Van, Texas. I have been to that Assembly of God church. I pulled up in a parking lot and, and whirled around, got out of that car, and guess what happened to me? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I just went to see the sights. That's anyway, so Garland's on out that way, over yonder, as we'd say in the country. So one night he was preaching there in Garland, and, and uh, they had a special kind of service. You know, God just moves in special ways sometimes. But at the end of the service, a spirit of prayer just kind of fell upon the audience. You didn't have to ask nobody to pray. You didn't have to ask nobody to seek God. People just begin to bow down and pray, come to the altars and pray. Dad Hagen knelt down and began to pray. And he'd been praying there on the platform for some time. And after a while, he got up and just sat down on the steps of the platform, just like you would have right here to my left. He just sat down on that top steps and with his eyes wide open, he's singing in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave him utterance. And suddenly three feet in front of him, 
Jesus Christ appeared to him. Now, nobody else in the church saw him. It was the gift of discerning of spirits. That's where you see into the spiritual realm where God allows you to see. In this particular vision, there's three types, but this particular vision was what you call an open vision. That's where you have your eyes wide open and you see into the realm of the spirit. I have had that occasionally happen in my life, and I wasn't praying for it to happen. I wasn't asking God for it to happen, but I I remember on back there in uh, 2008, I was walking across the front of this church, uh, not this particular church, but another church in Athens, Georgia, walking across and praying and seeking God. And I'd walked over to this side of the church in, in that particular building. I walked over to that kind of church. In fact, the building and all the platform and everything was kind of just like this church. So I was, I was walking that way, then walking this way. So I walked across there praying. I turned around, and when I turned around with my eyes wide open, suddenly I saw into the Spirit, and there was Jesus. About 20 feet in front of me, Jesus was sitting on his throne. He leaned over, and he pointed his finger at me, and he told me something about the election that was going to take place in the United States of America and what he thought about it and what he wanted me to tell people. And with that, he was gone. So that was the gift of discerning of spirits. I saw into the spiritual realm with my eyes wide open. And that's exactly what happened to Dad Hagen. But it's called discerning of spirits. It's not the gift of discernment. Read your Bible. It's called discerning of spirits where you see into the spiritual realm and God can open your eyes. You don't see just boogers. You don't see just Jesus. You don't see just devils. However, God can show you devils if he wants to because I have seen them too, you know, in the spirit when God wanted me to. But in this particular vision, you know, he, Jesus is standing three feet in front of him and he said to Dad Hagen, he said, I have come to answer your prayer. Dad Hagen said immediately... He knew what he was talking about. He'd come to answer his prayer about his wife. He told him what to do. He said, tell your wife to have surgery for that gorder, and she's not going to die. Everything's going to go fine. And of course, they'd done exactly what the Lord said do, and they had surgery on the gorder, and she was totally healed. In fact, in her latter years, she actually outlived him, Dad Hagen. Dad Hagen lived to be in his 87th year, but she lived a few years on beyond him before she moved to heaven. This is what I wanted to get to. Jesus said something to Brother Hagen at the end of that vision that just has touched me over the years. I mean, it really has, and it touched Brother Hagen. And if you can get this revelation about Jesus and how much he loves you and how much he wants to do something for you, I'm here to tell you he's not mad at you. He wants to help you. He said, Brother Randy, you don't know how sorry and low down and no good I am. Well, join the crowd. I have been lower down than a snake's belly in a wagon's rut. But I'm here to tell you God's love, God's mercy, and God's compassion still kept reaching out out to me. And I'm here to tell you his compassion and his mercy and his love will reach out to you. The devil will beat you over the head and tell you how sorry you are and how you missed it and how you know good and how you're going to never get it right. I'm here to tell you you need to rebuke that devil in the name of Jesus, command him to leave your life and get out of your thought life in the name of Jesus because God loves you. The Bible says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Isn't that right? He loves us. He loves you. He wants to do things for you. He wants to help you. He wants to give you the very desires of your heart. The biggest dream that you could ever dream, Jesus wants to do that for you. 
We can prove that in the Word. You know, I can just say words and they're empty unless we can back them up by the Bible, but they can be backed up by the Bible. Jesus wants to give you the desires of your heart. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. And what will happen? He will give you the desires of your heart. I said, delight yourself in the Lord. And I've had it happen to me, ladies and gentlemen. I've had it happen. I get to desiring something. You know, I'm talking about just something natural too. I'm not just spiritual. I desire spiritual things. Don't get me wrong. I'm first and foremost because I delight myself in the Lord. But I can get to desiring something. And I kind of have to watch myself. Because if he knows I'm desiring it, he'll work out a way to get it for me. I mean, it's just amazing how he'll do things for you. He wants to grant you your heart's desire. And if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the very desires of your heart. And the the statement that Jesus made to Dr. Kennedy Hagin back in 1957, that statement that he made to him at that time when he told him about his wife, just so moved me when I read that. It so touched me. And I'm not a real emotional guy, you know. But that really moved me and touched me even down to the core of my being. And I thought, God does love us. The Lord does love us. And He's not mad at us and He wants to help us. But I want to read that statement again that He said to Dad Hagen. But let me tell you what Dad Hagen said first. And let me read what Dad Hagen said. At the end of that vision where Jesus appeared to him in open vision, He was standing three feet in the front of Him. He said, then Jesus, this is the words of Dad Hagen. said, then Jesus said something that absolutely melted me. And Brother Hagen wasn't very emotional either. He says, and I have never been able to forget it. said, it blessed and helped me then. And he said, it still blesses me. He said, I've never been able to forget it. Well, when I heard Dad Hagen say this, uh, and then I read it in the book too, I've never been able to forgive it. I forget it. I have referred back to this many times in my own personal life. I've even reminded the Lord of what he said. In fact, can I tell you what I've done today? Can I tell on myself? I reminded the Lord of something right here that he said. This that I'm about to read to you. I reminded him of what he said. And I said, Lord, I take you at your word because I want to see this happen. I want to see this take place. I want your will to take place. But he said, Dad Hagen said that it blessed him then. He's never been able to forget it. He said, Jesus said to Dad Hagen while he's appearing to him, he said, I did this, son, just because you asked me to. He said, you don't know how I long to do for my children if they would only ask me and believe me. Many times they beg and cry and pray, but they don't believe. And I cannot answer their prayers unless they have faith because I cannot violate my word. But how often I long to help them if only they would let me by taking me at my word and bringing me their problems and trusting me to undertake for them. Are you ready to go to him? Are you ready to talk to him? Are you ready to ask him for whatever it is that you want? But this is what he said that this kind of sticks out to me. This one little sentence sticks out to me as much or more than anything else he said. He said, I cannot answer their prayers. Talking about if you beg, cry, and pray. He said, I cannot answer their prayers unless they have faith 
because I cannot violate my word. It's not that the Lord doesn't want to do something for you, but he has obligated himself to his own word. And the Bible says he watches over his word to perform it. So he's actually got to obey his own word. If he does not, he's a liar. So what does his word say? I knew you couldn't wait to ask me that question. What does his word say? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we were headed to. Isn't that right? Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. This is what his word says. Remember, we're talking about this ain't no free ride. Because there is a mindset and a concept across the Christian world, Christendom, that says that Christ, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, thank God for him, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings has done it all and we don't do anything. That is not the truth. There is a truth to that, that Jesus has done it all. He paid the price, isn't that right? But if we don't believe His Word and act upon His Word, we will not have the benefits that Jesus Christ died, shed His blood and died, was buried again and rose again the third day and sits at the right hand of the Father for us to have. We have to exercise our faith. We have to believe His Word. And I know that's why you're here tonight. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. What does the Bible say? But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Remember, you helped me define the word impossible this morning. The word impossible means not possible. <laughs> look it up in Webster's. Look it up in the Greek, the Hebrew, homebrew, any kind of way you want to look it up. And the word impossible means not possible. So it's, you could read it this way, but without faith it is not possible to please him. Speaking of God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Seek him how? In faith. He rewards those that diligently seek him in faith. He don't take things away from you. He gives things to you. He rewards you. Are you looking for a reward? Amen. Well, he's got a reward out for you. <laughs> There's a reward out for you. Just put your name on it. We're going to hang your poster in the post office. Reward. Because there's a reward out for you. But without faith, it is not possible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we made the statement this morning together. We agreed to this, that first and foremost, if without faith it's impossible to please him, then first and foremost, uh, we should develop after we're born again, after we know we're on the road to heaven, Filled with the Holy Ghost, we should develop our faith in God's Word and exercise our faith because you can grow in faith. Isn't that right? And I promised you this morning that I was going to talk to you about some things about faith. And again, I have shared some of these things before, but this particular thought or idea about this not being a free ride, I've never shared that before because I didn't have revelation of it before like that. I didn't see it. This is the first church I've ever shared anything like that for. Because the Lord's been dealing with me about that for several weeks in my life. But uh, I just didn't come to a greater understanding of it till I got here. So I need it. Remember, I began to preach to myself this morning. So now I'm preaching to myself tonight. And I'm going to allow you to listen if you want to, remember. So we're going to talk to you about some things about faith. Because faith, we must understand it in order to exercise it. 
We must develop faith in our life because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So when we talk about faith, the first thing I want to talk to you about tonight is what faith is not. What faith is not. That's the first thing we're going to talk about is what faith is not. Because you'll find, I believe, approximately, I'm just guesstimating, you know, I'm not an expert in any area, you know. And somebody said, well, what is an expert? But Dad Hagen, Dr. Kennedy Hagen says, an expert is a little spurt away from home. (laughs) I always chuckled about it, you know, so I'm not an expert. Anyway, I'm just a little spurred away from home. So I, I, I don't know it all. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to put on no airs about it. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm developing just like you are. But I have proven God's word, ladies and gentlemen, time after time after time. I have saw his miracle working power work in my behalf. I have witnessed his angelic beings working in our behalf. In fact, at our meeting in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, earlier this year, I turned to my right and all of a sudden an angel was standing there. I had never never had it happen before. The angel brought me a message because of something where I had missed God. Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) You want to see angels for other reasons. (laughs) It was miraculous. It, it It was just, it was amazing what happened. I had never had anything like that happen. But I turned to my right in the meeting there in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, I wasn't asking to see an angel, didn't know I was going to see an angel. In fact, it was tough plowing, I'll be honest. You can tell when you're anointed, you can tell when you're not anointed. You know what I mean? It just seemed like it was plowing. It was kind of plowing for me to preach, you know, that night to, to the ministers and everybody that was there. But when I turned to the right, all of a sudden there he was, this angel. He come to tell me that I didn't do what I was supposed to do with the word that God gave me for this year. Of course, I made some corrections. You know, and it didn't take long to make corrections. That was in a morning service, you know, when that happened to me, I think. Or, no, it was in a night service. And the next morning, the anointing came because I repented. <laughs> I tell you, I repented. I'm not talking about a blatant, uncontrolled sin. I'm just talking about a, not doing what the Lord told me to do with the message He gave me for this year. And He told me what to do and how I needed to get back on the right path. And, of course, I did make those adjustments. And, and, and when I preached... Uh, in, in the next service, because that was in the night service, in the next service that morning, all of a sudden the anointing came on me and I got lost in the spirit while I was preaching. That preaching anointing came on me. And when I came to myself, somebody had me by my hand. And that's what kind of brought me back to myself, you know. Somebody had me by my hand and it was my board member, Bill Allen. You know Bill, Brother Bill and Trudy. Bill Allen and I was standing up. <laughs> I was standing up in a chair. I mean, in a chair, preaching the gospel. And Bill, my board member, was sitting on the second row, and he thought I was going to fall. I didn't know I was standing up there. And he reached up and grabbed my hand. But it was amazing what happened. God is real. His word is real. His angels are real. His power is real. And he wants to work in our behalf if we'll believe him. So supernatural things happen. So the first thing we want to talk about is is what faith is not. Because again, I believe that you'll find, remember I'm no expert. I'm just a little spurred away from home. That's all I am. (laughs) It wouldn't mean God gets the glory. But uh, we're going to talk about what faith is not because I believe that you'll find approximately 90% to maybe 95% of the body of Christ in what faith is not. They believe that they're in faith, but they're not in Bible faith. 
There's a difference between what we think is faith and what the Bible says is faith. So the first thing we're going to do is talk about what faith is not. Then if we're going to talk about what faith is not, then number two is we've absolutely got to talk about what is faith. Remember, you wanted to know what that is. Isn't that right? Isn't that what you said? You wanted to know what is faith? And then remember that decillion dollar questions that you wanted to get answered. Remember what a decillion dollars is? That's just a friend of mine told me. I don't know. I just take his word for it. He said a decillion is one number with 33 zeros after it. That's a decillion. I just take his word for it and I'll take all you got. (laughs) My God, my God, just give it to me. He was preaching one time on finances and I heard him say a decillion. I said, what in the world is that? I grew up applying mules. I ain't never seen a pile of money a decillion dollars high. You know, I thought a million dollars would be a whole lot of money for me or anything like that. But he told me, so we're going to talk about how to know when you are in faith. It's worth a decillion dollars, a number with 33 zeros after it, just to know uh, you know, when you're in faith or not. Because if you're not in faith, you're just wasting your time. I thank you for getting excited. You was excited earlier. And then we're going to talk about how to get in faith and stay in faith. How to get in faith and stay in faith. I said, Brother Randy, this is too simple. I know. It is so simple to receive from God, most folks don't do it. Oh, that's the time to shout. It is so simple to receive from God, most folks don't do it. There's only a few steps you need to take. There's only a few things you need to do. And if you'll do them, you will always receive from God always. This is what His Word says. It can be backed up by the Word. So let's talk about and move on further now about what faith is not. Are you ready for this? Faith is not trying to get God to do something for you. Faith is not trying to get God to do something for you. If you're trying to get God to do something for you, then you believe undoubtedly that he has not done it. And you're trying to get him to do something that he has not done yet. But faith can only begin where the will of God is known. If you cannot understand that God wants you to have it or God desires it for you, then you can't have faith for it. So faith is not trying to get God to do something for you. If you're trying to get God to do something for you, that means that you believe that he has not done it. And if he has not done it, it cannot be faith. Why? Because faith can only begin where the will of God is known. What is God's will? God's will is God's word. You cannot make God do something also that God doesn't already want to do. Did you know that? Do you know why you can't make God do something that he don't already want to do? Because he's bigger than you are. Now, I've eaten a lot of biscuits and cornbread, fat back hog jowls, bacon, grits, all that good country cooking, turnip greens and collards over the years, but I'm still not bigger than God. 
And it doesn't matter how much you go to the gym or the pastor's son's gyms or whoever you want to go and work out. Don't matter how big of muscles you can work up, muscles, you know, how big of muscles you can work up, you're still not bigger than God. It don't matter if you size 67 in the middle <laughs> or 107 in the middle, you're still not bigger than God. And you're not going to make God do anything that he already doesn't want to do. So faith is not trying to get God to do something for you. Why? The Bible says, the scriptures say, that all the promises of God are already yes and they are amen. They already belong to me. They already belong to you. So faith can only begin where the will of God is known. Can I tell you my famous donkey story? Are you ready for the donkey story? There were three clowns under the big circus tent. Y'all remember this, don't you? We're going to take you to the tent. We're going to go to the circus tonight. I knew you, wanted, you thought you was coming to church, but I'm taking you to the circus. In this big arena, you know, where they got the drums are beating and the animals are jumping and all the trampese jumpers around and the flopping and the carrying on. All of a sudden, there were three clowns that was leading this donkey out to the middle of the ring. And when they led it out in the middle of the ring, all of a sudden the big spotlight hit them, boom, the drums were, you know. And so one of these clowns uh, with big shoes, you know, about 15 to 16 inches long, you know, about a foot and a half, maybe 18 inches, polka-dotted clothes, you know, spiked-out hair, rosy red cheeks, red nose, uh, all purpled up and painted up, and then another one out there, all three of these clowns, uh, they wanted to ride this donkey. And so they decided, one of them was telling the rest of them, you know, get back, uh, I'm going to ride this thing. So this one clown, you know, he throwed his leg over this little old donkey. When he throwed his leg over that donkey to get in the setting position, he had no sooner got set down than the donkey sat down. Woof! And the donkey sat down on what Granny calls his hiney. You know what I mean? He sat down his hind end. And the donkey's sitting out there in this ring, and, and the kids are just a laughing and a cackling and a making fun because uh, this clown wants to ride this donkey, but the donkey is not participating in the process. You got to get the donkey participating, you know what I mean? And of course, the, the clown wasn't too heavy for the donkey because donkeys, believe it or not, even though they're smaller animals, can carry a lot of weight, you know? And so he kept trying to get on this uh, uh, donkey and then he'd slide off and the other ones would try it. There was three clowns, they would try it, you know. And they kept on and they finally got in front of him, you know, and they grabbed him by the bridle and one got him by the tail trying to pick him up, you know, and everybody's uh, laughing and carrying on. And this donkey's sitting out there and these clowns are doing flips and flops uh, trying to pick him up, you know, and he ain't participating. So two of them kept working feverishly trying to get this donkey to its feet so they could ride it, you know. But that donkey is not participating. He's just sitting there grinning. He ain't going to let them ride him. So what one of the clown does with the big floppy shoes and the polka-dotted clothes and the rosy cheeks, the red nose, hair sticking out everywhere, you know, he goes and disappears, appears behind the curtain and the spotlight follows him. And then all of a sudden the drum roll, you know, and he comes walking out from behind the curtain and this clown has in his hand about an eight-foot cane fishing pole. Y'all know what a fishing pole is up here in Des Moines? 
It was a fishing pole, you know. Uh, and he got there and he stopped and he reached into his clown pocket. You know, clowns got pockets, you know. He reached into his clown pocket and he pulls out some fishing line. And he ties a piece of fishing line, you know, about three or four foot long to the end of this thing. And everybody's wondering, what's he going to do? You know, with this cane pole, these other uh, clowns are working with a donkey out in the middle of the ring. And then this clown reaches to his pocket that's got the fishing pole, and he pulls out this big, red, delicious, juicy apple with a long wooden stem on it. And he ties that fishing line to the stem on that apple and is attached to that cane fishing pole and he starts walking towards the donkey. Of course, he's coming up on the backside of the donkey so the donkey don't see him coming. And when he gets up there with his cane fishing pole with his apple dangling about that far down from it, he tells them clowns, get back, get back. And they're saying, what is it? You know, what is it? Like they want to ride. You know, and the kids are laughing, the adults are laughing because they realize what's going to happen here. And so that clown positions himself straddled of that sitting donkey. And he's hanging on. He grabs a hold to that to bridle on that thing, you know. And then he carefully dangles uh, that little cane pole with that fishing line with a big red juicy apple right out in front of that donkey's nose, uh, but out of biting distance of that donkey's nose. And do you know what that donkey did? That donkey launched. Boom! It was Donkey Kong all the way. I'm here to tell you, for those of you that... I've heard my son say that years ago, something about Donkey Kong or somebody, whoever who he is, I don't know. But anyway, and this clown began to ride that donkey. That donkey ran around and around chasing that apple. <laughs> you know, trying to get that apple. Every time he'd think he's getting a bite of it, it would just, every time the clown took a step, the apple would take a step. Every time the clown took a step, the apple would take a step. And that clown, I mean, just laughed. All the kids laughed. All the other clowns are laughing. Oh, we tricked this donkey. Because he's riding that donkey. Let me tell you a secret. All the donkey has got to do is stop, throw the dumb clown off his back, and eat the apple. As long as he's chasing the big apple, he's not going to get a bite of it. Because the apple is already his. It's on his back. The clown has got it on a fishing pole. Stop and throw the dumb devil off your back and eat the promises of God, ladies and gentlemen. They're already yours. But if you're chasing the promises, <laughs> one of these days God's going to do it and you can die chasing the promises. Which you're not, I'm not going to allow you to in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what I mean? But you can be a good Christian and chase the promises of God all you want to. They're already yours. Stop, throw the dumb clown off your back and eat the apple. It's yours. Faith is not trying to get some God to do something for you. Faith is not chasing the promises. Faith is receiving the promises. There is a difference. But if you're trying to get God to do something for you, if you're trying to catch the apple, so to speak, then you're never going to get it. Because that's not what faith is. Faith is believing that you have something right now. The donkey already had the apple. Why? Because the apple, in a sense, was riding on his back. It was already his. Isn't that right? So now, eventually, the donkey did run out of steam, stopped, and the clown fell off, and the donkey ate the apple. 
But I'm not saying the donkey, I mean the devil's going to get off your back. He's going to keep dangling the promises of God out in front of your life and say, one of these days, one of these days you might get them. No, you're not going to get them that way. Why? Because you don't look in front of you, you look behind you. You look back to the cross. Jesus said all the promises of God are already yes and they're already amen. All the promises of God, I'm telling you, are yes and amen. I'm not looking into the future for them to take place. I look behind me because they've already taken place. And I just step up and I say, I receive mine by faith. Faith is not trying to get God to do anything for you. Why? Because he's already done it. When Jesus hung on the cross, among other things, there were three powerful words that he said. Remember those three powerful words? It is finished. Now that had different meanings, but one thing that was finished for sure was everything that it would take for the blessings of God to take place in our life and the promises of God to come a pass in our life. Jesus Christ paid for it on the cross of Calvary. So we look back to the cross to receive our promises today. It's already mine. Stop and throw the dumb clown off your back. Eat the apple. It's already yours. But you can go through life chasing the promises, chasing the blessings, chasing the healing, chasing the prosperity when it's already yours. There has to come a moment in time that you say, I believe it because God said it and it's already mine. Thank you for it, Lord. So are you excited about it? So are you going to ride around <laughs> with the devil on your back, dangling the promises off, or are you going to stop and throw him off of you and say, they're already mine in Jesus' name? I believe you're going to say they're already mine in the name of Jesus, and they already belong to you. I said the promises of God belong to you now. So faith, remember, is not trying to get God to do something for you. Why? Because he's already done it. The promises of God are already yes, and they're already amen. But there's a difference between him already done, done them for me, or, or, or completed them for me, and for them being a reality in my life. Isn't that right? There's a difference between that, and that's what we're talking about tonight. How to make that difference, how to get into faith, stay into faith, we'll talk about it. But remember, it's not a free ride. There's some things that I must do in order for the blessings of God to take place in my life. Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe, but still we've got to exercise our faith. So number one, we talked about what was that, what faith is not. Then if we're going to talk about what faith is not, then number two, remember by powerful demand of you, the audience, you want to know what is faith. What is faith? If you told me what faith is not, then what is faith? Because if I don't know what faith is, how can I exercise my faith? How can I believe God? How can I please God? Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him in faith. Because that's our keynote verse that we read this morning and read tonight. Hebrews eleven six. He rewards those that diligently seek Him in faith. So what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. Let's read that scripture. And maybe we can look at it in a different light. Lord, just help us to... Explain it in such a way that even I can understand it. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. 
this gives us an idea of the definition of faith. It don't totally describe it, but it gives us an idea of what faith accomplishes in our life. And then we will be able to tell you the definition. But it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is, you could say, the evidence of things not seen. So this tells us what faith will accomplish for us, but it still doesn't give me the full definition, which we will. I've got a Holy Ghost definition of faith because I had to have one because I wanted to know what faith is. But he said, faith is the subject of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So when I'm I'm believing God for something, even though I can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, five physical senses, participate in it in any way, if I've got faith, that is the evidence that I have what God says, His Word says, is mine. Isn't that right? Faith is the subject of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. But it still really doesn't define faith for me. So what is faith? I knew, remember, by popular demand, you're going to ask that question again. Because what it tells us in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it tells us what faith will do for us, what, how it works. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So when I get in faith, then I've got the substance, the vehicle, the means, the way to receive something from God. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. But what is faith? Are you ready for this? This is so easy. You're going to be able to remember it from now on and practice it. Faith, Bible faith, is believing that you have something that has not yet manifested itself in the physical world that you live in. Faith is believing that you have something that has not yet come to pass in the physical world that you live in. Faith is believing that you have something that has not yet manifested itself in the physical world that you live in. A good example. You ready for a good example? A Bible example. They came and told Jesus about Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. But his disciples questioned Jesus, and Jesus said, Lazarus sleepeth. But in the natural, physical world, Lazarus was dead. But Jesus said he was only sleeping. So what's he doing? He is exercising faith as a human being just like we do. He didn't want the final results to be that Lazarus is dead. What he wanted the final results to be is Lazarus was only sleeping and I'm going to wake him up. But his disciples scuffled about and kicked up the dust, you know. He said, Lord, what are you talking about? And so finally, for their sake, for the natural side, for them to understand, he said, well, Lazarus is dead. You know what I mean? Just for them to understand. But he was speaking by faith when he said, Lazarus sleepeth. Why? Because he knew in his spirit, that he was going to call Lazarus' name and bring him out of the tomb. So when they got to where Martha and Mary was, his sisters, 
And they were weeping and wailing, you know, and people were sad and mourning when Jesus got there. And Jesus said, where have you taken him to? Where did you put him? And they said, he's over here in the graveyard. That's what we'd call it. When they got to the graveyard, we would call it today. because they their burial process is different than ours. They put him into this cave-like and then put a rock over it. And he said, Jesus said, when they got to the rock of the cave where he was at, the place where he was what we call the burial site, he told them, he said, roll away the stone. Words, move it out of the way. And they said, Lord, by this time he stinketh. He'd been dead now about four days and he, he stinks. I mean, you can't, you, you, you know what? But Jesus can raise up stinkers. I'm just here to tell you. So if you're just a stinker, it's okay. He can raise you up. So they said, roll away the stone. He didn't pay any attention to what they said. And then he cried with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. And that's all he had to say. And all of a sudden, here comes something wrapped in all that binding like they used to wrap them, like in mummified condition. And he come a hopping out of that uh, stone cave that he was in. And when the people saw him, they almost passed out. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. So his faith ended in sight. But when they came to Jesus, Lazarus was dead. But what Jesus said is, no, he only is sleeping. Someone said, I have a tendency to agree with him. If Jesus would have said, hadn't have said Lazarus' name and just said, come forth to the dead, there'd have been a bunch of them come forth. But he was very specific in his prayer life. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Isn't that right? So what was Jesus doing? Jesus was exercising his faith when they said to him that Lazarus is dead. He responded and said, no, he's only sleeping. And Jesus saw his faith end in sight. So faith is believing that you have something that is not yet manifested itself in the physical world that we live in. Does it exist? Yes, it exists in the realm of the spirit. But how do we get it out of the realm of the spirit into the natural physical world that we live in? We bring it out by the vehicle and the means of faith. So when Jesus said that Lazarus was only sleeping, when truly, literally, naturally, he was dead, he was speaking and acting on the law of faith. Because he knew what was going to happen in the end. Well, what have you been talking about lately? Have you got any stinking things going on in your life that you want to see changed? It's time to talk to them. It's time to say something to them. Isn't that right? Jesus spoke to Lazarus and called him forth. It's time for you to speak to circumstances and situations in your life, and I'll guarantee you, you can see them changed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is believing that you have something that has not yet manifested itself in the physical world that we live in. Can I tell you another story? Are you ready for it? I mean a true life story. Can I tell you about my experience again? But it fits in right here. You know, most of you know that I spent over 10 years of my life behind prison bars. Now, I'm not bragging about it. And I'm not looking for a TV show. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not looking for newspaper articles or magazine articles. I thank God for His mercy and grace. Because if it were not for His mercy and grace, I wouldn't be alive today. 
But I met a man named Jesus Christ on my third escape from prison, driving down the road the first week of May of 1982 in Galveston, Texas, that forever changed my life. I was going to commit that day. It was in our mind to commit an armed robbery that day, and that's part of what I'd been to prison for, to be able to get some more money. And then I was going to slip out of the country and live happily ever after. But I met a man named Jesus Christ on Seawall Boulevard in Galveston, Texas. In fact, I'd met him. He, he kind of had a visitation with me in a sense. I didn't see him. But in this drug place, drug house that I was in in Baytown, Texas, not far from Mickey Gilly's club. Anybody ever heard of Mickey Gilly before? Get their picture. I'm going to turn them into the pastor. <laughs> but Mickey Gilly had a club in Baytown, Texas. It was a knockdown drag out joint. I'm telling you, sir, one of the biggest clubs of... That they was, you know, in that Aryan region, you know. They had the, what they call the electronic bull and all that kind of stuff. It was all, 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 I lived up the road from there. And I had an experience in an apartment in a drug house. In fact, it was the apartment I lived in. And I was on escape. And, and I, I knew right then that something was working on my life, but I didn't understand it all. In fact, a day later, I didn't forget about it, you know. But it was just a supernatural experience. I'll not get into all that. But uh, there, and uh, not long after that, about a week later, I was when I was headed down to Galveston, Texas, which is not far from Baytown. And Galveston, Texas is an island. The only way on and off is through ferry or bridge. And I found out the other day they still have a ferry that goes across there. And I was going down towards Seawall Boulevard, and I was supposed to take a left, and I took a right because I sensed if I took a left, I was going to wind up dead in hell. I don't know how I knew that, but I just knew that I knew. When I turned right, I turned right into the arms of God. I'll be honest with you. And he showed up there supernaturally, and he gave me another chance. When he gave me that chance, I took advantage of it. Even though I was facing life without the possibility of parole, no hope of getting out again, but here I am, and I'm going to turn my life over to God. I did. I turned my life over to him. And they took me back and I turned myself into the authorities there because that's what he told me to do. I went back to the state of Alabama. They flew me on a prisoner transport plane, took me back to uh, the state of Alabama and put me in the life without parole prison because they assumed that I would never get out, that I'd be there for the rest of my natural life. However, God had other plans. And I'll tell you about those plans. Talk about believing that you have something that you cannot see. Well, uh, they told me, you know, with life without parole, you don't get an interview for parole. But somehow or another, by chance or by God, all of a sudden I got a letter one day from the Alabama State Pardon and Parole Board. And it said, we're going to send an interview person down from our offices that's going to interview you about the possibility of parole. Well, it was a long series of events that got us to this, but it would take me, you know, I can tell them short or long. So I'm just going to condense this story because I just want to get one part of it, you know. And so anyway, they wanted to know where you're going to live if you were to get out and all this kind of stuff. You're going to work. Could you get a job? You know, all this stuff. How are you going to fit back in society and be ready to answer those questions? So they came and they interviewed me and they talked to me. And the guy looked at my record jacket and he, you know, it's about an inch, inch and a half thick, you know, of everything I'd ever done wrong. Leaping tall bullets, single bound, out, uh, out running speeding bullets, stop a locomotive with one hand, you know. and Not really a locomotive, but I mean, literally you know, been shot at and all kinds of stuff, dogs chased, all kinds of stuff uh, in my heathen years, you know, in criminal years. And, uh, but uh, he didn't give me any hope at all. And then when it was about uh, a few days later, 
I got a letter from the Alabama State Pardoning Parole Board, and this letter said, you will be released from prison on parole in the month of none. And then it listed about eight reasons why. That at the bottom of this letter, it said, furthermore, you will be reconsidered in the future for release on parole in the month of none. Well, I got very excited because I was getting out in the month of none. <laughs> Until I went and found the calendar. And when I found the calendar, I found January through December, but I didn't find no such month as a month of none. So this thing's not funny anymore. You know what I mean? This is for real. It just set in and they listed, you know, about eight reasons. Failure to respond to rehabilitation because I wasn't there all the time. You know, I skipped class. <laughs> you escaped three times. You know, I skipped class. Somebody asked me up in, I think, in Maine, Michigan, somewhere one time, years ago, a pastor did said, Brother Randy, why did you escape from prison three times? I said, Pastor, I said, I didn't get it right the first time. I said, I didn't get it right the second time. <laughs> but I finally got away the third time. You just keep doing it till you get it right, ladies. And just keep serving God. You know what I mean? But uh, anyway, escaping was not a, a, a pleasant experience. It was one of the most miserable experiences I ever had because you're constantly looking over your shoulder, don't know when you're going to be caught, don't know who's going to turn you in. And I did have people actually turn me in. I did. I had people turn me in, and I would just happen to be missed where the police, and one time the police walked right in the room where I was at. I was sitting behind the door. He didn't know I was there trying to walk out. It was just, it was amazing how some of the things happened. I can't even, it boggles my mind. But anyway, when I got this letter, I'm born again spirit-filled Christian now, because I turned myself in and went back to prison, Facing all this life without parole stuff. So I took this prison letter out there, this letter from the pardon of parole board, and showed it to the Lord like he needed to read it or something, you know, like he couldn't read, you know. And, of course, he already knows what it says, but I want to make sure he understands here. You told me you was going to get my life out of the mess I've got it into, and I was going to do what he called me to do. That's what he told me on my third escape. But here I got a letter saying that I, I'll never get out of prison on parole. Well, I will get out in a month of none, you know. And the Lord just reminded me, he said, I didn't put you in that prison. He said, I don't lock people in prison. He said, I don't send people to prison. He said, they send their own self there because they disobeyed the laws of the land. He said, they could be disobeying me too because that's part of it. He said, I didn't send you there. He said, it was not, never my will for you to go to prison. Now, I'm not saying that by some people going to prison, it might not have saved their life or going to jail because of the lifestyle they were living out here, you understand? But still, at the same time, God's not into locking people up. He's into setting people free. He said, if you'd have done what I told you to do from the time you was a child, he said, you would have never spent all this time behind prison bars. And you know, he's telling the truth about it. And he said, now, another thing is, he said, you don't have one ounce of faith to believe me. Remember, without faith, it's impossible to please him. He said, you don't have one ounce of faith to believe me that you can walk out these prison gates. When I went to searching inside to stand up and take up for myself to let him know I did have faith, I looked and I found none. <laughs> I did not have any faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. Somebody said, is everything is free in God. This ain't no free ride, ladies and gentlemen. I found out right then I didn't get my parole and I wasn't going to get my parole unless I exercised my faith. And I said, Lord, what do I do? I'm in a dilemma. You are right. I don't have one ounce of faith. He said, sit down, get your Bible. And he said, take scriptures and begin to read them out loud to yourself. And so I wrote scriptures down on a piece of paper. In fact, all the scriptures I wrote down is in my book out here. 
Escape from Hell on the back of it. I wrote them scriptures down. Now, I think I had about 10 or 12 or something like that, 7 or 8, 10 or 12 in the back of my book. But I tell you, this two or three scriptures believed and acted upon will forever change your life. And so I took those scriptures and I began to read them off this piece of paper because I wrote them on a piece of paper, you know, where I wouldn't have to just turn to every page of my Bible. And I started walking around the prison yard. And I would read them scriptures out loud to myself because the Bible says faith comes by hearing God's word. Isn't that right? I'd read them scriptures out loud to myself over and over and over and over. I'd done that for approximately an hour or maybe a little over. They finally got it in my memory because I just said them so much. You know what I mean? There's a difference between having them in your memory and having them down in your heart or your spirit where it produces faith. So after about an hour and a half of reading these scriptures out loud to myself, guess what happened to me? Absolutely nothing. It was still just as drab, still just as dreary. I still had fear that I wasn't going to get out. And the devil's beating me over the head and said, See, look at you, you sorry thing. You ain't going to get out of here. But all I knew is that the Lord told me to read them out loud to myself. So I just kept on walking the prison yard. Two hours went by. All I'd done is got a dry mouth. I'm just, I'll be honest. Because I was so concerned because I got a letter saying I'll get out in the month of none. And I was thinking about that letter, letter and giving that letter more precedence in my life than I was the Word of God. But I just kept on and kept on. After about two and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes of just saying that word out loud of my mouth over and over and over and over and over. I done folded up the scriptures and put them in my pocket. All of a sudden, I remember where I was at. Y'all remember where I was at, don't you? Y'all remember where I was at? It's State and Correctional Center in Elmore County, north of Montgomery, Alabama. Y'all remember that? Remember how you go down through there on Interstate 65? You know, if you're going out of Montgomery, headed north on Interstate 65, it used to be exit 14. Y'all remember that? And you take exit 14 till you get out to Elmore County. When you get to Elmore County, you know, there's a little fork in the road. And there's a little store sitting there in the middle of the road. You take that fork to the left. Y'all remember that? And then you go down that road right there, on that road that's a fork to the left. You're in Elmore County now. When you get out there in Elmore County, then you're going to see a big old prison on your right. A big white looking prison. And you're going to say, that's where Brother Randy's at, right there. No, I'm not right there. That was Draper Prison. So you had to go past Draper Prison just a little ways and then you turn right and you went down behind Draper and wiggled and waggled back down in there and all of a sudden you come to Staten Correctional Center. Staten Correctional Center is for the big boys. Draper was for the little boys. <laughs> the ones didn't have the crimes like we had back there. So they put us on the backside. Do you know what I mean? And they had gun towers all around. So I was on the south side of State and Correctional Center. In fact, I couldn't even see Draper from where I'm standing. Draper, you could see it across there on a good day, you know, because it's on over there a little ways, not real far. And you could see it if you could get to the right place on the prison yard. So I'm standing out there on this prison yard on the south side, right by the fence. I'd guess the fence that they had there was probably, I'm probably a foot and a half away from it. And suddenly faith dropped down into my spirit uh, and I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew by faith that I had my parole. I just knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I said, I had it. I had it. I had it. But I got a letter said, you're getting out in a month of none. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got my parole. I got my parole. I got my parole. In fact, I felt so good. I thought, I don't need no parole board. I'm just going to get the old hymn out of the red hymnal, and I'll fly away, old glory, and I'm going to spread my wings. 
And I'm going to sail over this fence uh, uh, singing that song. Uh, I'll fly away, oh glory, some glad morning. When this life is over, I'll fly away. Don't make me sing now, I'm just telling you. But I felt like I was singing. I mean, I had my parole. Now on paper, I didn't. In the natural, I didn't. The pro board said I didn't, but I had it. I said I had it. I had it. I didn't care what the letter said from the governors of the state of Alabama because he's the one that backed that letter up from the pardon and parole board. Said you'll get out in the month of none. Didn't care. I had it. And I was going to spread my wings, sing that song, and sail over the fence because I didn't feel like I needed a parole board. But I happened to look up in the guard tower. There was a guard tower up there. And I had an officer in that guard tower, and he had an automatic rifle in his hand. And I thought, well, he might not know this song, you know? (laughs) I felt good. I felt like I could fly. I knew I had my parole. Do you understand that? I had it. I had it. Faith is believing that you have something that has not yet manifested itself in the physical world. Does it exist? Yes, in the realm of the Spirit. In my heart, I had it. I had God's Word on it because I'd known His Word. I'd said His Word over and over. So I'm standing there. And I said to the Lord, Lord, what do I do? He said, believe that you receive it. Say it out loud right now. Based upon my Word and believe that you receive your parole. So I said in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I declare to you, God my Father, to you, Lord my Jesus Christ, I confess before the Holy Ghost, and then I tell you, devil, in the name of Jesus, I believe that I have already received my parole, and I have it now. I got my parole now. I got my parole now. Ladies and gentlemen, when I come out of my faith stupor, I was still inside the prison. But I had it. I said, I had it, I had it, I had it, I had it, I had it. But I didn't, it hadn't manifested yet. It hadn't became a reality yet, but I had it. Had it by faith. Faith is believing that you have something that has not yet manifested itself in the physical world that you live in. So when I said that I got it, I believe that I receive it. I wanted to call my mama that night and tell her the good news. Because I had prayed that when my mama went to the parole board the following Tuesday when I was confessing out there that day that there's going to reverse their decision, change their mind. I'm walking out of this prison on parole. In fact, I got so bold that I turned and I looked at the prison gate that I'd walk out of and I prophesied to it. I said, hear me, O.U. gate. He said, Brother Randy, are you out of your mind talking to a gate? Listen, Jesus talked to trees. He talked to the wind. He talked to the waves. He talked to food. Didn't he? He prayed over it and broke it. and It just, boom. He'd hand the piece over and it'd peer back. Where'd it come from? Don't know. Keep it coming. My God, all I know is it's working. Jesus talked to a fig tree. I can talk to a prison gate. And I said, hear me, Yogi Gate. I said, I serve notice on you today. This was May 31st, 1984. I'll never forget that day on a Friday afternoon. I said, you're opening in the name of Jesus. I command you to open and I'm going to walk out of you and I'm going around the world preaching the gospel, casting out devils, raise the dead, heal the sick, oh, my eyes are blind. Do you hear me, oh, ye gate? Well, the gate didn't say nothing, but it didn't hinder my faith at all. So I went and signed up in the phone booth to call my mama. 
You have to put your name down, you know, and then the guard will call your name, you know. And they just do it, and they give you so much, so many minutes to call, you know, and you had to be on a certain rotation, which means the al- part of the alphabet went one day and another part of the alphabet went another day because they didn't have but just a few phones in these uh, places you could use, you know. So you couldn't, everybody couldn't use the phone at the same time unless it was an emergency. You couldn't get an exception in an emergency, like somebody got hurt or family member got hurt or died, then they'd give you permission to call. And, of course, they recorded everything. You know, I don't know what they'd want to hear about. I'm praising God anyway. Hallelujah, you know. So I went in that phone booth to call my mama, and as soon as they put me through to mama, you know, I'm all excited. And I said, Mama, Mama, Mama. I said, I heard from heaven today. I said, I believed I received my parole. I'm coming home, Mama. I'm coming home, Mama. Ain't you glad, Mama? Ain't you glad, Mama? Ain't you glad? She said, calm down, son. Calm down. Calm down. They're always trying to calm us down. You know what I mean? That's what they say. You know, for the first two or three years of a child's life, you're trying to get them to walk and talk. For the rest of your life, trying to get them to shut up and sit down. You, know? <laughs> you ever notice that? But anyway, it's kind of like that with Christianity. You get excited about it. They try to put your fire out. You know, trying to get you to be quiet. And, and my mama, you know, she didn't want me not to believe God, but she just thought, well, this is too big even for God. Oh, my God. Because she had one of them letters saying you're getting out in the month of none too, you know. And she said, oh, honey, oh, honey, what if it don't happen? You, you'll think that God don't love you anymore. That's what my mama said. My mom was a good Pentecostal lady, you know. She wasn't trying to hinder my faith. She just thought, well, if, if it don't happen, she said, you'll think God don't love you, you know, and I don't want to see you backslide because you're on fire for God. You're doing things right now. And this first time in my life, I've been happy and I'm happy now. And if you do us believing, I won't be happy if it don't happen. Because she's happy because I'm not a devil anymore. <laughs> I can't be happy. You backslide off. And she just said all kind of reasons, you know, and I'm just still wondering, I mean, my feathers are dropping, you know, and, and I'm wondering, what in the world's wrong with mama? Finally, she didn't know what to say, anything else. She said, honey, don't put all your eggs in one basket. In other words, I'm believing God, I'm walking out. I said, mama, I said, I ain't got another basket. Has <laughs> Jesus or nothing? The parole board's against me, the government's against me, the court system's against me, and they have a right to be against me. I said, the only one I got is Jesus. And I said, Mama, I said, I'm coming home. Get ready, Mama. Oh, don't say that. Don't get my hopes up. Don't get my dreams up. Oh, you've been in prison so long. I hardly know what you look like anymore. You my baby. You my baby. I'm still Mama's baby. 250, six foot four. I'm still Mama's baby. If you don't believe it, ask her. <laughs> 64 years old, I'm still mama's baby. Woo, it's amazing. Oh, don't get my hopes up, she'd say. I'd say, mama, I said, don't be concerned. I said, God's on my side. I said, when you go to the pro board next Tuesday, I said, they're going to reverse their decision and change their mind to let me out because she'd already got a, granted a hearing, you know, because when the, you get come up for parole and you get denied, your family can go or a lawyer or somebody and try to make an appeal, you know. So I said, I'll call you back Tuesday night. When I called her back Tuesday night from the phone booth, I went in the phone booth as Superman. But it wasn't long before my cape began to wilt. <laughs> you know, my big S, uh, Superman S, and my Faith Man F. Uh, boy, it started wilting because Mama started squalling. 
Finally got her consoled because she'd been to the parole board that day. And uh, she said, I said, what happened, Mama? She said, from the way things looked and sounded, you'll never be released from prison on parole. She said, every time I said one to two things good about you, she said, they said eight to ten things bad about you. Said the bad thing was everything they said was true. <laughs> she said, I didn't have a case to present in your behalf. From the way things look, you're not coming home, son. I told you, put all your eggs in one basket. I told you not to get my hopes up. And the Holy Ghost came on me standing in that phone booth. And I shut mama out. They say men are gifted at it. You, we, we got a gift to doing it. They said men operate out of the right side or left side or some kind of side of the brain. Women operate out of the other side of the brain. The women say they ain't got no brain. I can just tell you right now. But I just turned mama out. And the Spirit of God spoke up inside and he said, Did I not tell you to believe that you have received? I said, Yes, sir, you did tell me that right in my spirit in that phone booth. And mama's still on the other end of the phone just talking, you know. And he said... Are you going to quit believing just because you got a negative report? I said, no, Lord, I'm not going to quit believing. He said, are you going to believe their word or are you going to believe my word? I said, Lord, I'm going to believe your word. And it, faith rose up. And I said, Mama, Mama, Mama. I said, listen, Mama, listen. I got her consoled and quieted for a moment. I said, you listen to me now. Hear this. This is the word of the Lord. I said, my parole was changed today when you went to that parole board. And I said, if it was not, God's word is not true. She said, that's heresy. That's heresy. You're calling God's word not true. I knew it would happen to you. I knew. I said, mama, I'm not calling God's word a liar. I said, but let every man be a liar, but let God's word be true. I said, I'm coming home, mama. I'm coming home. Ladies and gentlemen, it took about three months. Nothing happened. I didn't hear a word, but every day I'm thanking God, and I fought a battle with my mind. I'm not going to lie to you, because I had believed that I had received it. I fought a battle with my mind. I even had dreams periodically, and I would see myself in these dreams. I mean real dreams. I mean vivid, and I'm not one given to dreams much either. But I have dreams of me being an elderly gentleman walking around with a cane in prison like I knew. Oh, Red, y'all remember Red? Y'all remember Red? He'd been there for 48 years. He used to cut hair. He used to be a barber. Everybody knew him. Everybody liked him, you know. But I could see myself like old Red, we called him. Because he had red hair and everything. He was an older gentleman, you know. Been there for 48 years. And he said, that's what you're going to be. And I'd wake up in a cold sweat. I'm not going to lie. And I'd be doubting unbelief. It was just running through my head. And I'd just reach and grab the scriptures. And it'd be a little nightlight coming out of the little hallway into my cell. And I could see those scriptures. And I'd just read. And I'd sit there and sometimes I'd have to read them scriptures an hour or more to get that doubt and unbelief out of me. But one day, hallelujah, approximately three months later, after I'd first prayed that prayer and believed God on May the 31st, Captain Felton Crumpton came out of the administration building, which is very rare for him to do. He was over all the guards in the prison. And he started looking on this big recreation yard. And he's looking for somebody. And I thought, what is he looking for? And everybody wondered what he's up to. And finally, <clears throat> about 25 feet from me, you know, because he's a bunch of guys out there, about 1,000, you know, maybe 800. And uh, on this prison big rec yard, 
And uh, it was rare that all that would be out there, but this particular day it was. I just knew. I don't know how I knew that I knew except by the Holy Ghost. I said, Captain Crumpton, are you looking for me? And he turned and looked at me. He had a big smile on his face and he come hopping over there where I was at. He said, you're not going to believe it, son. I said, believe what, sir? He said, you're not going to believe it, son. I said, believe what, sir? He said, you wouldn't believe it if I told you, son. I said, sir, they called me a believer. Give me a shot at it. I'll, I'll give it a try here. They called me preacher. He said, preacher, he said, you're going home Monday morning. Get packed up. <laughs> you're going home Monday morning. I said, Captain, I said, can I call my mama? Can I call mama? He said, she'll pass out. He knew her, you know. <laughs> I've been there long. He said, she'll pass out. She'll think you're lying. I said, will you stand there and tell her that's the truth? He said, yeah, come on. He said, I'll let you use my office. So he took me all up through the administration building, took me in there by the deputy warden's office, by the warden's office, took me back there, and he dialed the number for me. And, and you know, and my mama answered. I said, mama, mama. I said, I'm coming home. I said, you want me to, you want to come get me? Oh, don't hurt me like this. Don't, don't hurt me. Don't get my hopes up. I said, Mama, I said, would you believe it? Uh, if I told Captain Crumpton, if he tells, she said, yeah, if Captain Crumpton tells me, I'll believe it. She said, where is he at? I said, I'm in his office. And I said, Captain Crumpton, will you talk to my mama? So he got on the phone. He said, Miss Greer, he said, your son is coming home Monday morning. Do you want to come pick him up or you want me to put him on the bus? She said, no, I'm going to get him. Oh, my God, I'm coming to get him. He's coming home. He started laughing. <laughs> He's coming home. I said, yes, Mama, I'm coming home, Mama. Coming home. And so on that Monday morning, Mama came. They gave me a shirt that didn't fit, suits too big, pair of shoes like you plow a mule in. And I got a $30 check for over 10 years of hard labor. And you're complaining about your paycheck. <laughs> and they would have given me a bus ticket home, but my family was coming to get me, you know. And I remember going through all them electronic gates and all that kind of stuff. And then finally I had to get to the last place and I had to sign these papers and they gave me some forms and told me I had to report to a certain office at this address close to where I was going to be staying to meet with a parole officer within 24 hours of being released, you know. And then I could see my mama, she could only come to a certain point there. Captain Crumpton was there, he'd have let her come further, you know, but he's the boss and he, wouldn't, he, he didn't come all the way out with me. And so I went to that last, signed him last papers and that final electronic door, it opened and I stepped out. When I got there to my, where my mama was, she leapt up off of that little sidewalk. And of course, I'm much taller and she's short thing. My daddy was short, you know. My granddaddy, though, he was 6'8", another one was 6'9". So we got our height from them, you know. They called my uh, granddaddy on my mama's side, they called him Hoss. He could pick up a yearling calf, you know, not a giant one, but pretty good size when he walked down the field with him. <laughs> I mean, just, that's the way Papa was, you know. And so we got our height and all that kind of stuff and our great physique. 
from Papa, not from my daddy or mama, you know. It took me 64 years to work on this thing. I'm telling you the truth about it. Don't be trying to change it now. But, but any, anyhow, Mama jumped up and throwed both arms around my neck, a little feet just dangling off the concrete, you know, just a squalling, 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 just tears of joy. I said, I told you, Mama, I was coming home. Told you, Mama, I was coming home. See, I had it. I had it before I walked out. I said, I had it before I walked out, but she didn't. It was becoming a reality for her that day because she was walking by sight and not by faith. And I'm not belittling my mama. She's changed tremendously since those times. I've been way back in 1984. But she wasn't going to believe it till she saw it. Because she thought, well, you're just trying to get my hopes up, you know, and I'd be let down again. But finally, I set her down, you know, and she looked up through the tear-stained eyes, and she said to me, she said, honey, she said, the Bible is true, isn't it? I said, yes, mama. I said, the Bible is true. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is true. Faith is believing that you have something. I'm not going to finish tonight. You've got to just keep coming. We're getting there. We're trying to get there, though. But you get me to telling these stories and I get to reliving them, I mean, they're real to me. I'm telling you, it's real. I walked it. I'm not telling you a hearsay message. I'm telling you what God says. And God will work in your behalf. And God will work for you. Faith is believing that you have something that has not yet manifested itself in the physical world. My mama was not going to believe it until she saw it and touched me coming out. But I believed it May 31st, three months before I ever walked out. I believed it by faith. I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God. But that's what true Bible faith is. Faith is believing that you have something that has not yet manifested itself in the physical world. So whatever it is, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. He shall give you the very desires of your heart. I appreciate you coming tonight and putting up with me. I have preached myself happy. Woo-wee! It's working for me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you.